You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. On the fake, Rodgers lets it fly, has Watson, he's got it on his feet and he's in for the touchdown! That might be the biggest catch of this young receiver's career for Christian Watson. You can see him, it's just press man. They talk about his speed, his ability to get behind the defense. It's just a matter of can he catch it. That's a great job tracking the ball. He just took a big sigh of relief. Look at his buddies greeting him on the sideline, man. That's got to feel good. What's up, guys? Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. Just want to say good Saturday afternoon. Hope everybody's having an awesome weekend so far. I know we got some great uh, playoff football coming up this afternoon. Really excited to watch those games. I'm actually going to get together with some friends and hang out, and I guess the ladies are going to have game night while we sit around and watch a little football, maybe have a drink or two, and uh, eat some good food. So really, really jacked about that. Now, you know, it's funny. Every week, every really every other day when I do an episode, I'm like, man, do I got enough content to do a show? And then I check the email, right? (laughs) I check Twitter, and there's plenty to talk about, which is so cool. And I just want to say thanks to everybody who's hearing my voice. Um, you guys have done a phenomenal job of just really providing the content, you know, the topics, I should say. And, uh, you know, I can't thank you enough because <clears throat> going into the offseason, I was a little bit concerned, like, man, what am I going to do? You know, especially with the Packers getting eliminated early. Um, you know, it's like, what do you cover right now? There's no news coming out of 1265. And every single episode, the listeners provide an email. Or like I said, a tweet. Hey, man, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? It's perfect talking points. So I'm just kind of following along <laughs> my Twitter timeline, and we've got plenty of content, which is really cool because, man, the NFL is king. It, it, it's just amazing how there's always something to talk about. So let's just get right into the show. Um, you you guys know I answered Nathan's email the other day. I just want to read off this response real quick. It'll be very quick, and we'll move on to the next email, which kind of leads into our first topic. But we're going to cover a lot of stuff, man. We're um, you know, we, we're going to have everything from, um, you know, just kind of talking about being a Packer fan in general. There's been a lot of stuff happened on Twitter the last, you know, 24, 48 hours. And, um, you know, if you guys aren't keeping up, if you just go to Twitter and type in Aaron Jones, you'll see what I'm talking about. I don't want to blast anybody on a podcast or anything like that. And everybody's entitled to their own opinion. You know, that's totally cool. But uh, just choose to do things a little bit different. We'll kind of touch on that in just a second. And then uh, we've got a, a tweet from uh, at Mr. Heaton. I love these freaking Twitter names, first of all, man. It's just it's hilarious, some of the, the Twitter handles. And he was kind of talking a little bit about GM and head coach and, and you know, the future of the Packers. We'll hit on that a touch. Um, we had one guy tweet at me about the 2025 salary cap situation. <laughs> That's right. You heard it right. 2025 salary cap situation. Isn't it funny that – <clears throat> two years ago, we weren't going to be able to field a team this year, right? <laughs> and then lo and behold, we get through last year, and we're on to 2024, and people look up at the 2024 cap, and they go, crap. Well, first of all, you look at 2023, and you go, man, they 
they, they've got enough space they can make this happen. Let's move to 2024. And then you point out, like I did on the last podcast, 2024, guys, we're in great shape. There's, there's, It's not going to be the doom and gloom that people project. <laughs> and now we're on to 2025, and I love the comment. He actually said that um, the Packers' salary cap in 2025 is on pace to be 40 to 50% of the entire cap is going to be cap penalties because we keep pushing these contracts further and further out. I'm going to show you guys once again, this is what the actual cap situation is in 2025. Here's what to expect and put that stuff to bed. And, and it's not to be petty. It's just as we go along, every one of these narratives that are thrown up where people are, they're, they're literally lying on Twitter about the cap situation. I'm just going to shoot them down one by one as they come along. And we're going to move right in stride to the next topic because that's that's really what I want to accomplish with this podcast is don't waste your time worrying about the stuff that I worried about for so long. It's silly. And and there's a lot better way to be a fan as far as maybe looking at the bright side of things, um, but most definitely not buying into stuff that's just 100% inaccurate. All right. So we're going to kind of hit on that a bit. And then uh, we're going to answer uh, Mick Swank's tweet <laughs> where he asked about a, uh, a prospect in the draft. We'll kind of touch on that. So that's going to be the show today. We're going to kind of hit on a little bit of everything. GM and coaching talk. We're going to hit on the salary cap, and then we're going to wrap it up with a little prospect analysis. And is it possible for the Packers to, to grab this guy? Would they grab this guy this high? And we'll talk about it here in a second. So let's get into the first email. Again, this came from uh, Nathan. You guys remember um, – he, uh, he emailed me for the last show, and all he said in this email was, hey, hey Clayton, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to answer the question, mate. Um, I really appreciate you doing all the research that's above and beyond. Love the show this week. I'll try and think up some free agency questions, as I know that is sooner, uh, with a smile emoji. So, Nathan, appreciate that, man. I'm glad that you enjoyed that episode. And, again, man, thanks for the content because uh, the topic – is what provided the content. All I did was a little bit of research, and uh, and it was fun doing it. And, and again, like I said, as always, guys, it makes me a, a better fan, and it's uh, um, just, you know, the more knowledge you can gain digging into stuff like that, you can kind of grow and, and change as, uh, as you try to analyze everything. So let's move on to Alex's email. Alex says, hey, Clayton, Alex here. First of all, thank you for all the content, and congratulations on the success. Uh, you were by far my favorite tw- follow on Twitter. I know when I get a notification from you, it will always be an honest assessment of a situation while also taking into account the human element. Thank you for being you and don't ever change, even if you speak English on a third grade level. Your words, not mine, laughing emoji. Hey, facts are the facts, Alex. That's just the way it is. Um, man, when you when you go to public school, I don't know, there's some, I'm, I'm sure there's people right now nodding their head going, oh, I know where this is going because they went to a public school. I went to a public school, which I got to be real, man. It was a it was a positive experience for me. I grew up in a small town. Um, don't get me wrong, man. There was there, there's bad in everywhere you go, right? But um, the public school system for me was excellent. You know, that's why when I hear people that are extreme in politics, whether it's right or left, doesn't matter to me. And and they're, oh, the public school system is horrible. This and that. Are there bad things? Absolutely. Or is there some brainwashing trying to go on? Absolutely. Um, but the school experience for me was, I grew up in a, in a kind of a rough household and we were very, you know, for a long time, we were what I would consider poor, you know, to me, poor is 
you can't pay your bills without government assistance, right? That was us for a long time. And there was a lot of drugs and alcohol and stuff involved. And um, that, that played a big role in that. And that's why I think as I got out on my own, it was like, man, okay, when I realized that I could have a better life for myself, holy cow, man, it changed everything. The, the aha moment for me was I was just turned 18 years old and I decided I want to go to Atlanta Braves game. First of all, when I seen that it was possible for me to go to an Atlanta Braves game, as silly as this sounds, I was like, wait, the tickets are that cheap and, and gas will be this much. I can drive down there. So me and my fiance, well, my girlfriend at the time, we wasn't even engaged, which is my wife now, Mandy. We drove down there. And I remember sitting at that Braves game going, I never thought I'd be sitting at a professional baseball game because it just didn't seem like an option. But it's amazing how you get out and you work and you can provide, you know, do do the things that you want to do if you control your money and not have expensive habits and just blow money on stupid things. But anyway, public school system for me was man, it was it was too me. I got I got to get I got there early every time. I rode the bus. I'd get to school and it was, man, let's eat that breakfast, dude. Let's get that free breakfast in this. <laughs> so I had a free breakfast. I had a free lunch, right? And when I say free, I know it's not free. I know it's taxpayer paid. But man, if it hadn't been for that stuff, my childhood would have been totally different, you know? Um, so yeah, the public school system was was great for me and it gave me a break from my home life. So um, yeah. Why did I mention that? Because like Alex pointed out, I speak English on a third grade level. So when you go to public school, and it's in Harlan County, Kentucky, bloody Harlan, the old coal mine and, you know, wars from back in the day. And, <clears throat> man, it's a it's a different place. I challenge anybody to just roll through there sometime. But I'm from a, a small little town there. It's a place called the Tri-Cities. And um, it's funny, it's the Tri-Cities, but I think combined in all three cities, there's like six or seven thousand people. Also, uh, but anyway, yeah, so um, appreciate the email, Alex. And, you know. Here's the way I look at it. You know, when you talk about my analysis uh, and honest assess assessment, if you see it, you got to say it, right? I learned that from Greg Cosell. I'm one of his biggest fans. It's kind of one of my short-term goals, maybe a long-term goal, really, is to try to get Greg Cosell on the show. I know he's an extremely busy man, but I'm going to begin reaching out and putting fillers out there to see if I can just get him on the show for 10 minutes because he's a guy who's worked at NFL Films since, I believe, the 70s. He's on NFL, uh, NFL uh, Matchup show on ESPN does a phenomenal job and he's just an absolute expert at breaking down the tape and I love how he removes any personal opinion or anything like that and he always says you know like George Pickens he talked about George Pickens last year coming in the draft and if I remember correctly he said George Pickens is the best prospect in this uh, the best wide receiver prospect in this draft but understand I am strictly grading the tape I do not get into because the question was asked, I believe, by Ross Tucker. Hey, what do you think of George Pickens? This and that. You know, I know he's going to be falling on the board for that. And he cut him off. Was like, I am not even going to comment on personal issues. That's not that I, I do not want to be responsible for that. I strictly watch the tape and point out <clears throat> what he can do well and what he does bad. And he said that he was. The, and I love that approach. And then. Let the media drum up all that drama. Let them dig up all the dirt and, and, and do all that stuff that you can just see it in their eyes. Or, oh, oh, man, they're twiddling their fingers. They're so excited to get into. And uh, I like what he says. If you see it, you got to say it. But, man, I'm staying away from that garbage. You know, it, here's my approach on, on, you know, we talked about what happened on Twitter, right? And I'm not going into the details, but I'm not going to mention any names. But essentially, an article came out and, it was, hey, here's the reasons you need to cut. Uh, we need It's time to cut Aaron Jones. 
And we find out later that it was a fan that wrote it that writes for a certain publication. Again, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but you, you guys probably already know, but that's not my place to – I don't want to get on here and talk bad about people. You know what I mean? Like, if that's the approach you want to take, awesome. But the way I see it is if, if you wouldn't say it to someone's face, I'm not going to say it on social media. That's just chicken. That's just – if you – you know, writing that article about Aaron Jones, right – First of all, I think it's absolutely absurd, and the one of the co-founders of the website actually agreed that, hey, I don't agree with this opinion. It's just a writer for our organization. Um, Aaron Jones was your best player on the roster. That's what I don't understand about what people are saying. It's time to turn the page. The window is closed, all these things. So, so when you say the window is closed, that means we need to get rid of our best players? Guys, that's got to be the most ignorant comment I've ever heard. Like, why would you get rid of your best players? Uh, salary cap situation. Please don't don't start this. Salary cap. We have we show you over and over and over again how the salary cap can be maneuvered. And it, well, you're kicking the can down the road. Yes, Zadarius Smith was on our cap this year. Guess what? He's not on the cap next year. Mark that excuse off the list. But guess what they do? They don't take any, they don't even take into account, and we'll talk about that here in a second, about how that affected actually affected the salary cap and how we were still able to sign the players we wanted to sign. Like I said, we'll hit on again. But like if you wouldn't say that stuff to somebody's face, that rider would not come up to Aaron Jones at Lambeau Field and go, Hey, Aaron, um, dude, sorry, I think it's time we need to cut you. He wouldn't do it. He would not do it. And we had other people say, Well, you know, it's it's that. It's just part of the business that we're in. I'm not in a business. Guys, I am not trying to be an insider. I'm not trying to break news. I'm not trying to to try to – that's what cracks me up is when they circle the wagons with this cancel crowd on Twitter, nine times out of ten they're trying to impress somebody in that Twitter feed so they can write for their website. or what. And if that's the, if that's the angle you want to take, hey, have at it, man. Have at it, Hoss. But that's not what I'm in it for. I'm – I'm in it to just talk football as a fan, as a Packer fan. So that's what you're always going to get on this. And I try, you know, I say I try to be honest. I'm always honest, but I'm always tactful. I'm not going to just go at somebody as if they were standing in front of me. I would say that to them. That's silly. It is. It's just, it's, that's being dishonest in my opinion. So if you wouldn't say it to somebody's face, man, you don't say it on social media is my rule. Um, you know, it's like the Christian Watson injury news. I refuse to, quote, unquote, break the injury news. You guys know we interviewed Krista Watson last offseason, right? And there was an injury that popped up in training camp. Guys, I didn't interview Krista Watson to try to get inside information. What I wanted to get from Krista Watson is I wanted – we just had a conversation on, on Twitter, and I was like, this is all – like, she seems like an awesome lady. It seems like they were – hardworking family, and he's done everything he needed to do to get to the highest level and give himself a chance in the NFL. Just such a cool story that, hey, why don't you come on the pod and tell that to our listeners? And that's what she did. Now, along the way, what happened? She said, oh, I'm sure you already know. And when she said that, she said, I'm sure you already know about the injury. I went, oh, no. And, and like everything else, I always ask afterwards, hey, is there anything on in this interview that you'd like me to cut out? Because I don't want to just try to break a story, right? But I wasn't going to leave with, you know, she said, you know, you know, I'm sure you already know, but with the injury, it was Crystal uh, or it was uh, 
uh, floating cartilage in his knee, that they just remove that. He's good to go. He may miss a week or two, but um, we're hoping he'll be back for week one. We, you guys know, I think it was like cup two or three weeks into the season, maybe week four, he he came in and, and started to play. And and there was people like, when they found out I interviewed Krista Watson, immediately started tagging me and started reaching out going, hey, man, you got something. You, you should take this. And it, Like I was going to break news as an insider. Guys, if you want an insider, there's plenty of them out there. <laughs> there's no shortage of quote unquote NFL insiders. But if I do that, right, if if I go in and it's like, oh, look at this, guys, I got the dirt on Christian Watson's injury, right? That would have put her in such a bad spot. Imagine Christian being in the building and then finding out that his mom leaked out the information that the team was obviously withholding from everyone. None of the insiders knew it, right? We were the first to know that. But what he's immediately going to reach out there and go, Mom, like, wait, you, the organization's mad at me now because this information leaked out, right? So that's why you don't lead with that. Like, it's just, I don't know, it's crazy, man. And, you know, it would, it may cause a rift between them. I'm always going to include the human element when it comes to, to Packer players. I'm sorry, I am. And if that makes me, you know, not a true <laughs> podcaster, whatever, hey, so be it. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be like everybody else. I promise you that. I'm a Packer fan talking about Packer football. So, you know, that's just the way I see it, man. Um, so I appreciate that, though. Uh, Alex, thank you for the email, man. I wanted to respond to that, and I figured we'd just do it on the air. I'm getting a lot of these emails behind the scene, and I feel so bad not reading them on the air. But at the same time, I want to give you guys content. So I, I'm just going to move along and just say thank you so much. I really, really appreciate the compliment there. Now let's move on to at Mr. Heaton. Uh, tweet. It's funny when I first seen that name, I thought it was Misty Heaton, and then it's Mister Heaton. So I'm guessing that means Mister Heaton. So I'm gonna assume this is a guy. I apologize if it's not, um, but uh, I'll just try to keep that out in general. But here's what his tweet said. He said, "I was slash am a huge Goody and Matt Lafleur supporter, but I'm starting to wonder if maybe Goody is an incredible scout, but not the greatest GM." Matt LaFleur might be an amazing play designer slash coordinator, but maybe not the best head coach. And he did the little thinking emoji. And my response to him was, I think each of those are fair opinions, just like players, coaches, and GMs. Heck, all of us have strengths and weaknesses. Um, what makes an organization slash team special is their ability to pull the best out of everyone and play to their strengths. Green Bay definitely failed at that this year. And, and it's kind of what we've talked about in the past – uh, Michael Lombardi's talked about it over and over and over. Let me first of all give you my opinion of Brian Gutekunst. I think Brian Gutekunst is a good GM. Now, you guys seen we highlighted the 2019, 2020, and 21 draft, right? And, I mean, you hit, to the best of my knowledge, you only hit on three prospects out of 25 in those three drafts. Now, last year's draft class looked good, right? Like, it's, it's it looks like, okay, this these seem to, you know, there seem to be a few hits here. You know, Christian Watson, um, Quay Walker's got a good chance to be a hit, right? Um, Devontae White, I think, has a better chance to be a hit than Quay, and that's really saying a lot. Like I said, Christian, you got Romeo Dobbs, who I think is a hit because he contributed his rookie year, and he's only going to grow from here, right? Um, and then you've got uh, Zach Tom. I won't go through the entire class, but they, they hit on some, and, and Igbare showed flashes at times, right? Um, so last year's class is looking a little bit better, but I think where Goody thrives, and we kind of disagree here 
um, Mr. Heaton <laughs> is, you know, he said, I think Goody is a, a great scout, but maybe not the greatest GM. Um, you know, when you look at those draft classes, 2019, 20, and 21, I'm kind of falling back a little bit like, okay, maybe he doesn't scout as good as we thought he would. But the GM aspect, I thought he's done a great job in a sense of signing Russell Douglas, signing Devondre Campbell, signing these players that, you know, Rudy Ford, that was a big pickup last year. If it hadn't been for Rudy Ford, our defense would have been freaking bottom three. I just about guarantee it. But Rudy, you know, really helped turn the tide and, and he helped fill in that gap while Devondre was trying to get healthy. And I know they play two different positions, but man, Rudy Ford was the one causing the causing the turnovers, right? And and those type of things and kind of holding it together because we've seen Savage underperform. We've seen uh, Amos underperform. And that's the thing, too. Like when you talk about talking bad about players, you've heard me knock players, right? But it's nothing I wouldn't say to a player's face. If if I was sitting in front of Darnell Savage and he said, what'd you say about me? I'd say, man, I think y'all potential in the world. You just had a down year. You know, you did it last year, too. Like, I hope you turn it around. I want you to where you got the coolest freaking football name in the world, first of all. You want a safety named Savage to be on your roster any way, shape, or form, right? But I'll tell you what I wouldn't do. I wouldn't go to his face and go, you deserve to be cut. It just cracks me up how people are so quick to fire people. Getting fired from a job, it's got to be the worst feeling in the world. I personally have never been fired from a job. I I can honestly say that, but my wife has been fired from jobs. Right. And when I say fire, they wasn't like, get out. It was, hey, look, we're downside. There's always a reason. Right. That's the worst feeling in the world to have to come home to your family and feel like a failure. Right. And, and you know, like God, I'm not contributing at the level I need to. I let them down. They just told me I wasn't good enough. I feel like I let my family down. All these emotions don't come into play. Right. And that's why that stuff is so important. It's it's like that, that you treat people right. Nobody wants to hear that, that they say, hey, fire Joe Barry, fire this one, fire that one. It's like, come on, dude. The other thing, too, if you wouldn't say it to their face, don't say it on social media. If you said it to their face, you'd probably get punched in the mouth. And people lose that energy when they come eye to eye with people. So that stuff always bothers me. But um, So my opinion is Goody is a good GM. I think Matt LaFleur is a good head coach. I mean, you don't win 13 games three seasons in a row and not and be a horrible coach, right? Notice I didn't say great GM. Notice I didn't say great coach. I think a good GM and a good coach, right? And, you know, what does that equal? If you've got a good GM and a good coach, and like Michael Lombardi said, you can't just randomly pair GMs with coaches. You can't do it. Like, if you take a GM that's worked, you know, like like Goody has, and he was brought up and raised in a West Coast spread offense, right? That's what you're used to scouting for. And then you bring in a head coach and you say, hey, all right, um, we're going to we're going to do the uh, wide zone boot scheme. And everything is totally different. Technically a West Coast offense, but totally different as far in principle of how you attack a defense. Right. And and then you you marry those up and just expect everything to gel right off the bat. I think that's why we missed on those draft classes in 2019, 2020 and 2021. Now, there's some bright points. Don't get me wrong. Rashawn Gary. Uh, A.J. Dillon, those two alone, especially Rashawn Gary, um, we pray to sweet baby Jesus he comes back 100% healthy because that dude was a monster, right, and he was starting to peak. Um, You you know, that player alone makes a draft class, in my opinion. When you can get a guy in an elite position, which Edge, as you guys know, is my only elite uh, elite position on defense, and, and he can be top five, 
in the NFL at that elite position, that's worth one entire draft class, in my opinion. Because you get him on a rookie deal for four years, and then he's in the organization. He's already acclimated. He starts to develop leadership uh, you know, skills like Rashawn Gary has. He's a complete culture changer. All those things, you can't put a price tag on that. And they will re-sign him. Let's, like I said, let's just pray for his sake, first of all, as a as a young man and and so early in his career that the injury rehab, everything goes great. And I have no doubt he's gonna do his part. That dude is a monster uh working. You know, you see him in the offseason every year. Some of the videos that are posted on social media. If you're not following him, you need to follow that guy. And that's what I love about Rashawn Gary. Rashawn Gary's quick to block people. If you're gonna be rude to me, you're getting blocked. And I heard I hear people say, "Oh, I don't like to block people." Flush that. If somebody's going to personally attack me, if you disagree with me, awesome, dude. We'll have us a conversation. I'll end it with, "Have a great day, but we just disagree." But if you're going to come out, "Oh, this is the stupidest thing. You're ignorant. You don't know what you're talking about." Bye, block. I don't need that in my life. Learned that a long time ago. That's just a waste of energy. But like Michael Lombardi said, you can't randomly pair GMs with coaches. When you take a good GM like Goody, a good head coach like LaFleur, and you randomly pair them and they're not on the same page, that that is the that is basically the formula for a mediocre result. Now, why did they win 13 games those three years in a row? You had the best quarterback and the best wide receiver in the game. And guys, I'm telling you, you can see it plain as day when he when when LaFleur took over, what was the big talking point? They're going to try to meld together this McCarthy offense that, that Rodgers was raised in and LaFleur's offense, and they're going to blend them together. And bang, success. First year struggled a little bit. Then in 2020, MVP year, thirteen another 13-win season. Then the next year, MVP year, 13-win season. This year, what I've seen happen personally with the emergence of the RPO game, the short RPO game, and the personnel setting, the close tight formations, mainly out of the 12, 11, and 12 personnel, guys, they're, I've said it over and over and over, they're not running San Francisco's offense. And Coach Hahn and I are going to do a deep dive uh, on a chalk talk. We're going to put one together, and we're going to hit on San Francisco and Cincinnati because those two offenses seem to be poised for a deep run here in the playoffs. Watch them get eliminated this weekend. But obviously they had enough success to make it to the second round of the playoffs. They're kind of the darlings right now. And, you know, their coaches um, are really, really in the hunt as far as, um, you know, getting signed to head coaching jobs. Like I know that Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator in Cincinnati, is uh, driving up a, a lot of interest on him that he may get some head coaching interviews. Um, you know, in San Francisco, it's a little bit different to the best of my knowledge. I don't even think they have an OC right now. Um, I think that that was a, a strategy that's being used all across the league, and rightfully so. It allows you to basically – you know, you can't block you can't block a promotional move, meaning if somebody wants to hire your offensive or defensive coordinator as their head coach, you cannot block it, right? But they can't make a lateral move, right? So if you've got if you don't have an offensive coordinator and somebody comes into your your organization and says, Hey, we want to sign your quarterbacks coach as our offensive coordinator, you can promote him to offensive coordinator and that blocks that move. Bill Belichick started that trend, and now you've got a ton of teams. Matter of fact, I may be able to count them off here real quick. In the AFC East, the New England Patriots don't have an OC or a DC for that very reason, right? Um, this past year, I think there was a few more. Let me double check here. I've got all that's how big of a geek I am. I've got every one of the uh, 
every team's coaching staff broke down here. Yeah, in San Francisco, they do not have an offensive coordinator for that reason. In Arizona, um, they do not have an offensive coordinator for that reason. Of course, Cliff Kingsbury was calling the plays, but that was their goal was to block that. Of course, he got he got crap canned. Um, Tampa Bay, uh, they don't have a defensive coordinator for that reason. Todd Bowles is the head coach. No reason to put yourself in a position to lose somebody on your staff. Um, in New Orleans, they didn't have a defensive coordinator because Dennis Allen took over and they left that void so they wouldn't lose anybody. Houston had a defensive coordinator position open because Lovey Smith was the head coach. And then, yeah, I think that's it. So you see, once again, New England, Bill Belichick starting to trend and it's starting to take off across the league. You know, why do I mention that? Because Rich Bisaccia just got interviewed, right? Rich Bisaccia just got interviewed for the head coaching job for the Indianapolis coach. Now, do I think he'll get hired? You never know with Jim Irsay. Jim Irsay is one of those wild cards. And you guys heard the story. Uh, if you watch the McAfee show, you know the uh, one of the leaked stories that's coming out that of why uh, Josh McDaniel didn't take that that job in Indianapolis. Uh, long story short, they said Irsay was in the bathroom for a, an awkward amount of time is what they said. <laughs> and and Josh McDaniel's wife basically said, I don't want you working for him. They said it was odd behavior. I don't know what that means. Um we know what McAfee show thinks it means, but it can mean a number of different things. But anyway, that that being said, Ursay is a different kind of cat, right? I could see him hiring a special teams coordinator as a head coach. I would not be surprised. Is it highly likely? No, I don't think it is. So I think Rich will be back a special teams coordinator. Um, but again, we can't block that promotional move. They offer him a head coaching job. we got to let him go. Now, if Andy came to him and said, we want you to be our special teams coordinator, can't do that. The team has the right to hold on to that coach. Right. So anyway. Yeah. So a good GM plus a good head coach, uh, Mr. Heaton, <laughs> uh, plus differing views is going to it's going to equal mediocre results. I think you've kind of seen that this year. But guys, it's not the only thing that happened. There is a multitude of things that happened. You guys remember in the offseason, we did several episodes where I would ask people, what what is your prediction for the year? Barring any injuries, it's funny I prefaced it with that, right? Barring any crazy injuries, and and I never mentioned it because I didn't want to jinx it, but the thing I was talking about was Aaron Rodgers. Barring an Aaron Rodgers injury and him not being in the lineup and us not knowing Jordan Love has, what, what do you think the results would be? But I said barring any crazy injuries because it also applied to David Bakhtiari, Rashawn Gary. Everything that could have went wrong injury-wise pretty much went wrong last year. Aaron Rodgers didn't miss any games. But what happened? The thumb was broken. He had rib cartilage injury. He had a knee tweak, right? He played banged up the whole year. A broken thumb on your throwing hand, that's that's rough to come back from, right? Played with it all year, and you've seen the accuracy take a hit. David Bakhtiari wasn't right the first of the season. Elton Jenkins wasn't right at the first of the season. Bob Tunyon wasn't right at the first of the season. Wasn't right all year, in my opinion. You had Rashawn Gary, your – your superstar, emerging superstar at an elite position, the only elite position on defense at edge rusher, go down with an injury, you had to start a rookie. All of these things come into play. Now, did people underperform? Absolutely. You could say Aaron Rodgers underperformed. If you don't believe it's the thumb and you think that, hey, man, he just fell off the cliff, I respect your opinion. I, I, I have to respectfully disagree at the moment. Now, he may come out next year if he comes back you know, and doesn't retire and plays like crap, and you go, okay, there it is, man. Dude's. 39, 40 years old, it caught up to him. Happens to the best of them, you know. But we wasn't expecting Adrian Amos to drop off. We wasn't expecting Darnell Savage to drop off, all those things, right? So um, that's what I mean by barring any crazy injuries. But what did people say? Oh, 13 wins. Oh, this year we cracked 14. Oh, this the – my stance was 
a minimum of 11 wins, barring any crazy injuries, and a maximum of 13 wins or 14 wins, right? I was leaning more towards 11 because we're losing Tay, and that's coming from a guy that didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal, right? So um, now what happened? You had all those key injuries. We dipped down to eight wins, right? I'm not surprised by that. It's why you didn't hear me freaking out all year. It's why you didn't hear me with the hot takes. It's why you didn't hear me trying to point the finger at one person. Go, ah, you need to get rid of him. He's washed up. He's holding the team hostage. Fire Matt Lafleur. Fire Joe Barry. I'm looking at it going, bro. Like they're blowing coverages. That ain't on. That ain't on uh, Joe Barry, <laughs> right? Aaron Rodgers has got an injured thumb. Once that came out, it was like this makes sense, right? Because before it was like, man, he just he seems a little off. His accuracy numbers are right on par. And then we went through that dip after the Giants game, and he started wearing that that little cast on his thumb or whatever. People, that's what's crazy is we've seen we've seen the rap on the thumb all year, right? And it didn't get brought up until, of course, uh, Big B on Twitter. Uh, if you guys aren't following him, go find him. He's a, he's an awesome follow too. Um, you know. Got to meet Aaron Rodgers as a as a part of a kind of a little special thing where he got to meet up with him and uh, and he breaks the news that the thumbs broke. Then okay, this makes sense. Then come back after the bye, his accuracy goes right back up to where it was. Bad decision making, yes. Is that because he still wasn't one hundred percent healthy? I don't know. But anyway, that's how you end up with that. Now, how did you win thirty nine games? It's because you had you had the best quarterback. You had the the back to back MVP, four time MVP quarterback, and the best wide receiver in the game in Devontae Adams. Right? They would bail it out over and over and over, and you could see that in this offense. Guys, ask Dusty Evely. Every time they needed a play, they went backside slant to Devontae Adams. <laughs> like every single time, you find yourself in a pinch. Rodgers would drop back. Okay, bang, that ain't there. Let's just go to Adams. Let's just go to Adams. Let's just go to Adams. And then you cut that out. I'm not saying it's the GM's fault. Tay made his own decision. He made his bet. He's got to lay in it out there in Vegas. You know, we won more games than them, right? To the best of my knowledge, I'm pretty sure we did. I know we were on pace to. Um, so, anyway, that's how I feel about that, uh, Mr. Heaton. Is, uh, it's exactly what Lombardi talked about, man. You can't. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. You can't just meld these two together and just say, okay, yeah, go at it. You know, it's why there's so many New England Patriot coaches coming out of a, an organization where they've had nothing but success for, you know, ever since 2001. I mean, you're talking about, you know, going on three decades, right? And why do they never succeed somewhere else? Because they'll say, all right, we want to hire this head coach, and then they pull a GM from a different organization, and they're they're not on the same page. 
he's not going to go to the GM and go, hey, we ain't on the same page. That's his boss. You know, and the GM's going, man, I really want this to work, but here's how I think it should work. That's kind of a recipe for disaster. So that's how I see um, that playing out. I hope that answers your question or just response to your comment. I think I think he's a good GM. I think LaFleur is a good head coach. I just think you got a little bit differing opinions there, and they've got to figure that out. That's what's got to happen this offseason, period, case closed. I hope they lean into San Francisco's offense. I really do. But maybe Goody isn't great at scouting and drafting for that. You know, What's the one pick he made? Josiah DeGuara, right? Immediately, everybody was like, there's our H-back, baby. There's our fullback for this. And then he just hasn't developed into that. I think he played better last year. I do. He may be able to take a huge step this year. I hope he does. Same thing I said about Savage last offseason, right? But I'm not waiting around either, man. I'm going out and fixing this tight end position ASAP, um, whether that's with a uh, a more dynamic H-back, I think we've got to get an inline tight end, someone who can play attached but also play the boundary X if uh, if uh, if you need them to. So let's move on to the next topic here. Um, next topic, and again, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Heaton, for that tweet and uh, hitting us up. It gives us content. We love that. So another tweet that I got um, I wanted to hit on. This is salary cap talk. It's going to be a bit of a rant here. I apologize. But somebody hit me up. And what they said was, at this this was in response to the Aaron Jones conversation. Again, you guys know where I stand. To get rid of your best player is absolutely absurd. Well, his cap hits high. You need to look at the structuring of the cap hit. First of all, he, he the contract is set to end his in the year that he's thirty years old, if I remember correctly. Next year, the cap goes from twenty million dollars to sixteen million dollars for his cap hit. We free up four million dollars in cap hit next year. So this was st strategically structured to have the largest cap hit here in 2023. My guess is they did that thinking that Aaron might not be around that long, right? So we're going to free up cap when Aaron retires. Now that Aaron's coming back, you look at that and you can adjust. I'm not going to go into the details of how we can do that. We've done that over and over and over, talking about converting his <clears throat> extremely high base salary into signing bonus and he's already, you could tell this is the game plan. It's why it doesn't catch me by surprise. There's already two voidable years tacked on to Aaron Jones's contract. Now, they're like minimal. I don't know what it is that they've already got tacked on. I may be able to tell you right here. Uh, yeah, $770,000. Woo! How are we going to pay the bills? $770,000 uh, on the salary cap uh, on down the road here on a voidable year. The structure is in place to go ahead and maneuver that money. You could tell this was their game plan, guys. Six. You can you can look at if you un, if you try to understand why the organization do do things that specifically happen, then it tells you exactly what their game plan is long term. Why when they structured that, and I remember having a conversation with a good friend of mine. His name's Willie. He's a huge Buffalo Bills fan. When I told him the guaranteed money that's attached to Aaron Jones, he said, "There's no way that's true, Clayton." If it is, then he's the still a free agency because you guys know we let him test the market. Isn't that amazing that someone outside of Green Bay was telling me there's no way that deal is accurate? And I'm not bashing him. I completely understand because when I seen it, I was like, holy cow, this is a good deal for the Packers. And he was like, if that's the case, then you got the still a free agency. That ended up being the case. Why did they structure it that way? They structured it that way because there was less guaranteed money. They structured it in a way that they had cap relief on the front side. But then along with it, 
They tacked on two voidable years, so the blueprint, the skeleton, is already in place. They don't have to go to him and go, "Hey, Aaron, man, uh, is it okay if we tack on two voidable years?" They don't even have to. That that part of the equation is over because they knew this was the plan going forward. Goody was two, three steps ahead on how he wanted to construct this roster. That's why when he sits in a press conference and they ask about Aaron Rodgers, he laughs and goes, yeah, he's a four-time MVP. We want him here, right? This was the game plan, okay, which also tells me that they believe it's the thumb and the injuries and Aaron's going to rebound. But, you know, that's just my personal opinion. Anyway, the two voidable years are tacked on. So what can you do? You can convert his base salary into signing bonus and put them right on those two years, okay? Now, why do I mention that? The guy came at me, and this is what he said. He said, in 2025, the salary cap, the, the Packers are going to be 40 to 50% of their cap is going to be in cap penalties. I was like, 40 to 50%? Where did you get that number? I'll tell you where he got that number. It was a random number that he thought up in his head, right? So what does that mean? Let's just break it down. Let's assume he knows what the hell he's talking about, right? Let's just play, play along here for a second, right? The salary cap in 2025 is projected at $245 million. So if you take 50% of that cap, you're saying that there's going to be a cap penalty of $122 million in 2025. But how did he come up with that? Like, maybe I'm missing something. Again, let's play along. Kenny Clark has a restructure bonus, which I am, I am counting as cap penalty. Okay? I'm going to count it as cap penalty. He has a restructure bonus of – $2.7 million, and he's not on the roster. Adrian Amos has one of $2.2 million. He's not on the roster. Okay? Dean Lowry, $997,000. Aaron Jones, remember the voidable year, $770,000. And Mason Crosby, $335,000. Now, why do I mention that? He's projecting that we're going to have $122 million in cap penalty. And right now, as it sits, we've got $6.9 million. Bub, I hate to be the one to break it to you, but you got a long way to go to get that 122. You got a long way to go to get to that 60. This is what I'm talking about. There, I don't see any chance of them reaching 60 million in cap penalty that year. So, I mean, literally, not even half of what you're on Twitter throwing up on your keyboard saying is going to happen is going to happen. That's what I mean by dishonest. That's what I mean by fearmonger. And that's what I mean by, well, let me just regurgitate what other people are saying as if it's fact. Because nobody will go back and fact check them, right? And it won't even matter three years down the road. Just like Zadarius Smith. You can literally go to people's Twitter handle, type in Zadarius Smith, and you know what it does? It pulls up their tweets from the past. I love doing this. I love doing it. And, and I don't go at them on Twitter because I'm not that guy just like, the emailer said earlier, man, you're my best, you're my favorite follow because you just you're honest. You're, because I I try not to attack people. That that is like if you go to someone else's Twitter handle, right, and comment on their tweet that you disagree with it, you know what you're doing? You're walking up to their front door, you're knocking on the door and going, What are y'all talking about in there? Oh, yeah, I disagree. Come on. Again, you wouldn't do that to somebody's face while you're doing it on social media, right? So, with that being said, um, Two hundred and forty-five million, and he's projecting we're going to have one hundred and twenty-two million in cap penalty. Right now, we're sitting at seven million. Let's include Aaron Rodgers. His dead cap for twenty twenty-five. Now, once again, I want to say nobody knows the optional aspect to Aaron Rodgers' contract. 
The only people that know is David Dunn, Aaron Rodgers, and the Packers front office, and none of them are telling all of the details. Okay, They made a huge commitment to him, absolutely. But as it sits on Spotrack, they're projecting only 16.3 in dead cap for Aaron Rodgers. Let's go ahead and tack that on. Let's assume that Aaron Rodgers doesn't retire this year, and that is the dead cap that's going to fall directly on 2025, which we all know it won't because it's going to get maneuvered around. Let's say that 16.3 is on the cap, okay? So let's add 16.3 to the – let's round the six up to seven. What does that give you? You know what? Let's call Aaron Rodgers' dead cap penalty $20 million. Let's play their little game. Let's just – overestimate everything and try to blow it out of proportion. Let's say Aaron Rodgers' cap penalty for 2025 is $20 million, plus the seven. So you're at $27 million now. Great. You only got about another $100 million to go to reach what you predicted was going to be the cap penalty for 2025. It's absolutely absurd, guys. The same exact year that they said Zadarius Smith ruined our cap, right? That same year, the same calendar year that they said Z was a horrible move, that – we're going to keep kicking this down the road, and we're always going to be in cap trouble and this and that. That same year, we re-signed Jair Alexander to the highest-paid cornerback contract in the league, which i got to be honest with you, I'm not a huge fan of because corner in my eyes isn't an elite position, but we can agree to disagree. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I understand football and the salary cap and, and team management like Brian Gutekunst does, right? They re-signed Ja. They re-signed Russell Douglas. They re-signed Devondre Campbell. They re-signed Elton Jenkins in the same calendar year, guys. You understand that was all in the same calendar year. They snuck Elton Jenkins in last year. Why? Because we had like a six to eight million dollar surplus. Like, and they're pretending like we skated by with two million dollars in the bank, or you know, with seven hundred thousand dollars in the bank. It cracks me up, guys. We did all of that. We offered Ja that contract, Rasul. Campbell, Elton Jenkins, right after we offered Devontae Adams more money than Vegas. But Zadarius Smith ruined the cap. Now, go to Twitter now. Nobody, none of those people are talking about Zadarius Smith ruined our cap. You know why? Because he didn't. And now they're on to the next thing to complain about, the next thing to fear monger on, which is what? Aaron Rodgers is going to ruin our cap. If, if we keep Aaron Jones, man, it's going to hurt us in 2025. We're going to have $120 million cap penalties. It's silly, man. It's lying is what it is. So just want to point that out. And as far as Tay, you're wondering, well, I wonder what Tay's cap hit was. Tay's cap hit next year is in 2023, this year I should say, $25.3 million against the cap. We offered more than them, guys. So how in the world is our cap in such shambles that we were going to take a $25 million cap hit on Devontae Adams. Probably would have been $26 million considering we offered more than Las Vegas. Right? It's because the salary cap is extremely flexible. It is, and it somebody immediately tagged me and said, Yeah, you're right, dude. Salary cap's fake. And I went, No, it ain't. No, it ain't. That's the problem. You've got two extremes, and both are literally stretching the truth way beyond where it needs to be. The salary cap is real. It is very, very time and date sensitive. There's you, there's plenty of loopholes to maneuver around however you want, right? You could do an absolute reset right now. You could get rid of Aaron Jones, get rid of David Bakhtiari, trade Aaron Rodgers, do all this stuff, right? And you can make that cap look so pretty, but what's the point? 
What's the point? Now you need a quarterback. Now you need a left tackle. Now you need uh, another, uh, you know, spark on the offense, right? Other than Aaron Jones. Like, why, why would you get rid of your best pieces? We broke down the PFF grades. What's crazy is the people that they're saying we should cut graded out the highest this year. Even Aaron Rodgers' down year, he was a top five player on the Packers roster. That's what's crazy. And, he, and it may be because of the thumb. If it's not because of the thumb and he comes back and he's a top 10 quarterback next year, why do you not want him on your roster? Well, that window's closed. We just need to turn the page. It ain't working. It ain't going to work. Okay, so the best thing to do is to get rid of your best players and just start from scratch. That is stupid. Let me tell you what it is. It is emotions talking is exactly what it is. It's Packer fans are upset because they set unrealistic expectations for the year. And when they don't get their way, what do you do? You run them off. When, when you don't like your spouse, what do you do? You get a divorce, right? When things don't go perfectly, you cut ties with that family member. I'm just done with them. That's society. That's what society teaches us today. Rather than sitting down and going, all right, man, let's let the emotions leave for a second. What's best moving forward for my family? What's best moving forward for the organization? Isn't it funny that's what Aaron said he wanted to do? I wanted to make a decision once all the emotions have ran their course. And we got people that are saying he's holding them hostage, right? That's what cracks me up. Aaron Rodgers is holding the Packers hostage. We weren't even out of the wild card round yet. And because he hadn't made a decision, the Packers, he was holding the Packers hostage. I've got a poll here. I'm going to pull it up real quick. I'm going to share this with you because I thought this was really, really interesting. We're going to move on to our last uh, listener question. When things like this happen, this is what I like to do. I like to ask people because nine times out of 10, really 99% of the time, the loudest people are not the majority. They're just the loudest people, and they're the ones you hear. The reasonable people aren't are running around on Twitter and acting a fool, right? So what I did, I said, now that we got uh, – or I, this is what the original tweet said. Let me click on it first. I said, uh, let's, let's get right down to basically how does Packer fan base actually feel about Aaron Rodgers and holding them hostage? And the tweet, essentially, I don't have the tweet. I've got the screenshot from the results and then my latest tweet, right? I said, with all this talk about Aaron Rodgers holding the Packers hostage, okay, I said, what is a reasonable deadline for Aaron Rodgers to make his decision on retirement? Here's what – here. this is the, the three choices, okay? The wild card round week, the Super Bowl week, or before free agency begins, okay? Now, keep in mind, several people on Twitter were saying, he's holding them hostage, he's holding them hostage. Some of these other podcasters and publications, right? Which is one of the reasons why I think I really jumped into the podcast, you know, realm is because I got tired of hearing people trying to get hot takes just because they knew it would get negative feedback. Therefore, more clicks, more eyes, more listens on their podcast. I want to give people a, a different approach, a different option to listen to a podcast that comes from a reasonable stance and from a positive spin rather than everything being doom and gloom, chicken little, the sky's falling. Okay. I said, now that we got to the bottom of that, I guess we all agree that Aaron Rodgers isn't holding the Packers hostage. On to the next hot take. The results. 2%. 2%. And keep in mind, when I when I tweeted, when I screenshot this, there were still people voting. But it literally just started. It was a landslide. This was with 1,114 votes. Okay. 
The wild card round week, only 2% said he should have to make his decision by the wild card week. Remember the loud ones? It's exactly that's point proven right there. The loud the the loudest people are always the ones that are going to get heard. And typically they're in the minority, right? Super Bowl week, 20%. I don't think that's unreasonable to want an answer by Super Bowl week, right? That may have been my vote, although at the end, I definitely lean towards before free agency. I feel like if he makes if he makes a decision before free agency, then we're all good. Now, there's some people going, well, how can they make these decisions on the roster if they if he hasn't made a decision on whether he's returned or not? I understand that. But do you not think the front office has got two game plans put together, guys? That's exactly what's happened right here. Brian Gudikins and Russ Ball and Matt LaFleur and Mark Murphy have sat down. They said, okay, if he does come back, here's who we want to re-sign. If he doesn't come back, here's who we want to re-sign, cut loose, and here's our approach. Here's the two game plans. Let's give him his space. And I respect the hell out of the front office for giving him space. I think it's absolutely awesome. The dude, has he's basically – you know how rare it is for players to play in the same organization their entire career? I mean – it, look at it this way. Let me put it this way. Peyton Manning, right, the face of the Indianapolis Colts. what they do? They cut him loose, right? Yeah, I think it was the right move, really. He went and won a Super Bowl. Well, that was the defense. How many ifs are you going to throw into the equation, <laughs> right? Like, he, they cut him loose. He went to another organization. He won another Super Bowl. What have the Colts done since then? Nothing. Let's go on to the Patriots. The Patriots. Tom Brady forces his way out. Why did he do that? Because they drafted Jimmy Garoppolo, kind of put him on his heels a little bit. And I think that Bill Belichick, I know Robert Kraft believed this, and I think Bill Belichick would admit to it too. They miscalculated how long Brady could play at a high level, right? So what they do? They cut him loose. He goes to Tampa. He wins a Super Bowl. He's back in the playoffs again this year, right? Now, Tampa was loaded with offensive talent, you know? Tampa had Bruce Arian. T- Tampa was primed for a run. How many ifs are you going to throw in the equation? Because they let him go. He went on and won another Super Bowl. What have they done? Nothing. Be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. But I want to put that poll up there because, like I said in this tweet, now that we got to the bottom of that, I guess we all can agree that Aaron Rodgers is not holding the Packers hostage. On to the next hot take. Because 78% believe that as long as he makes his decision before March 15th, it's reasonable. 20% believe before the Super Bowl, it's reasonable. And it is. It is. So just wanted to mention that. thought that was cool. Now, on to the last tweet. All right, let's close these out. All right. So the last tweet we want to cover, this actually came in. Man, I already closed it out. Let me go back to my Twitter real quick. It'll take just a second. I want to read uh, read Mick <laughs> Mick Swank's tweet. I'm not laughing at your name if that's really your name, but it's just people are so creative with these Twitter handles. I don't. I, I can never tell if that's really someone's name uh, or not. But on Mick Swank's tweet, he asked me a question about a prospect, right? And what he says is. Um, it's actually Knickknack Paddywhack is, is the Twitter name and the handle is at McSwanks is what it is. He said, at Packers underscore access. Kind of been unplugged from Packers lately. Just curious what you think of B. John Robinson. His highlights look amazing, but I'm wondering how well it'll translate to the NFL, and I'm not experienced with the 
breaking down the film. Appreciate you. Um, appreciate you, man. First of all, thank you for the tweet. And I told him I'd give him a look and give him my first impressions on the pod today and uh, said, appreciate you, buddy. So um, now, first things first, I want to say this. Is there a chance that the Packers could draft B. John Robinson? Never say never, but never, right? He's projected right now on the consensus big board as the 13th best prospect. He's peaked at number seven. They've got him going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at number 19. According to the consensus big board, B. John Robinson is the best running back in the draft. Now, why are we even entertaining this? Why did I choose to put this on the show? Because we carried Patrick Taylor last year, which Aaron Rodgers and the Packers like, right? Um, to the best of my knowledge, I don't, I don't think he's on the roster right now. I should have that roster in front of me, and I apologize, but I don't. Actually, I may be able to pull it up here. Um, yeah, as it sits right now, he is on the roster, actually. Okay? So you've got Patrick Taylor back, which they liked, and then you've got uh, Goodson, right, that was on the practice squad that was signed to a futures contract. So they may not even be entertaining the halfback draft or market. With that being said, if he's the best player on their board and he is in a, you know an elite talent, let's say he's top tier on their board, they've got him rated in the top five, right? And let's just, for, for easy math, for easy sake here, um, let's just say that the the way the Packers' tiers work is tier one is one through five, and it just evenly matched up that there was five. There may only be three players in that top tier for them, guys. There may be one. There may not be any, right, that they grade out in their quote-unquote top tier. But let's say he is a top-tier running back or top-tier player. And let's say that at number 15, right, the Packers are on the clock, and everybody has gone from tier one and tier two except for B. John Robinson. And B. John Robinson was a tier one player. I would not be surprised at all if the Packers took him. You go, what? Aaron Jones? We got Aaron Jones. He's going to play third string? Hey, listen, it's A.J. Dillon's contract year, right? Is there a guarantee that we re-sign A.J. Dillon? I, I love A.J. Dillon. I think he's an awesome person. I think he's an awesome back. But if you go to improve your team, right, and, and you're talking about a guy being a top-tier talent, yeah, you're probably going to look – you're going to entertain doing that. Now, could somebody trade up and go to grab him and offer you a ton of compensation? That's that's definitely on the on the table. You may have a team that says, man, he's in my top tier too. Bro, we'll give you – you know, we'll give you the 25th pick in the first round and we'll tack in a third. I'd probably take that deal, pick up an extra third. Some people are going, no, not a third-round pick. <laughs> because they've done so bad at drafting in the third round. Maybe that's the way you break the curse. Maybe you trade back and take multiple third-round picks and just face your fear. I don't know. Probably wouldn't work out. So, anyway, let's look at B. John Robinson. It's hilarious that I said I am not a scout. I'm not going to try to give my personal opinion on prospects, all those things. And here I am two episodes in a row because listeners are asking me to. I'm breaking down prospects. But I'm going to try to do it quickly, and we'll get you guys out of here. So, B. John Robinson, again, on the consensus big board, Number 13, all right? PFF gave him a 95.3 PFF grade. That's the second best running back in all of college football. I think the first one on that list might not even be in the draft. I didn't go as far to, to look and see if he was because we're just really keen in on B. John Robinson. So what I did with B. John, um, again, PFF 95.3 on the consensus big board. He's 13 overall. He peaked at seven. He's projected to go number 19, which tells me – that if he is the best player available, he's in that elite spot, I would have no problem with the Packers taking him. Now, what I did was I went and watched the tape. If I watched the tape, I watched the highlight reel. That It's very important to mention that. I didn't watch an entire game and see how he was in this and was on that. You know, I literally watched the best plays he had. Here are the strengths that stood out to me. 
and I just jotted them down. I tried to jot, jot down three or four things that really jumped out to me uh, on the uh, on his uh, his tape there, McSwanks. I said uh, he's patient. When I said patient, the first thing I thought of, remember the year that Le'Veon Bell absolutely blew up in Pittsburgh before he went crazy along with Antonio Brown and they fought their way out of Pittsburgh and completely ruined their careers? <laughs> he was he would literally – he was so patient in the backfield. There was no stress, no panic. It was just wait, wait, little hop, step, bang, hit the hole, right? Explosive. Very patient. I see that in B. John Robinson. He's extremely shifty. He didn't come across like, whoa, this guy's got blazing speed. But, man, just the way he could cut on a dime without losing momentum, and he was upfield. There were some plays where he was patient in the backfield, one cut, bang, hit the hole. Next level, just a, a little shift through a DB off, bang, through the next level. It was it was really, really impressive. I, I didn't want to get into, like, uh, NFL comparisons, right? I didn't want to be the one to do that. A lot, of, a lot of other people do that. You know what? We may pull up his profile here and see if anybody else compared him to somebody. I just want to give you my initial thoughts on this, McSwain's. Patient, shifty, never – I didn't see him panic one time. There was times there was people in the backfield. Subtle sidestep, kept going north and south, worked his way through traffic, hit the hole, explosive. And the thing that really stood out to me is he, he looks like an extremely smart football player. Like he uses every inch of the field. And what I mean by that is when he needed to get wide, he got wide. When there was no reason to get wide and he wanted to use that inch vertically, he was vertical, right? All those things, that's what really, really stood out to me. So those are the four things I came up with, was patient, shifty, doesn't panic, and uses every inch of the field. Now his stats, you know, his freshman year, he averaged, I believe it was his freshman year, his first year in college, or first year of stats, he averaged 8.2 yards a carry. I think there was only 80-some carries, so take that with a grain of salt. His second year, 5.8 yards per carry. His third year, 6.1 yards per carry. So he averaged 6.1 yards per carry last year. He had a long run of like 70 yards, so he's got that top-end speed if you need it, although I didn't feel like on the tape that was his strength. For me, it was maneuverability through traffic, very smart runner, very patient, very shifty, never seemed like he panicked when tacklers were around him, and he used every inch of the field. Now, let's see if we can pull this up real quick without wasting too much time. Let me just see what pops up if we search this. Okay, we're just going to go with WalterFootball.com. It's the first one that popped up, okay? B. John Robinson scouting report. Here's his strengths. Instinctive, natural runner, elusive. Well, that's kind of cool, right? Instinctive, natural runner, and I said he was patient. He doesn't panic. Right. So you see that elusive, excellent moves in the open field to dodge tacklers. Right. Very shifty is what I said. Decisive runner. That is awesome. This is spot. This is exactly what I've seen on the tape. Like decisive runner, I think of patience. Right. Um, fast to the hole and explosive speed to break off long runs on any carry. So they feel like he does have the speed to break off a long run. I didn't see that a whole lot. Um, although he did have some long runs and did pull away, he just didn't seem like that blazing speed. I'm trying to think of who I could compare him to in the league. I really can't think of any running backs right now that are just extremely fast. But anyway, threat to score on any play, on any carry. Starts the game fast, doesn't need carries to get in the groove. That's huge because, you know, we, we've said that about A.J. Dillon over and over. I mean, it just seemed like you got to get him multiple carries and kind of get him going. Said he doesn't need carries to get in the groove. Rare acceleration, tough physical runner, power back who can run over defenders, picks up lots of yards after contact, keeps his feet going after contact, excellent vision, great feet, 
cutting ability, that excellent vision. That's what it makes me think of uh, using every inch of the field. Um, ideal building size, finishes, runs well, capable of creating for himself, capable of controlling games, runs well in the second half. You got to have those guys that are closers, right? Quality short yardage back, rare shiftiness for big back. Uh, will juke offenders. Has a second gear in the open field, nice soft hands, receiving ability, excellent route runner, uh, willing blocker and blitz pickup. That's absolutely huge. Has potential to be very good in that regard, they say. Hard-nosed runner between the tackles, has a nose for the end zone, superb, powerful stiff arm, wears down and intimidates defenses, excellent knee bend. Um, runs behind his pads. Ooh, boy, somebody, some of you Mike McCarthy haters aren't going to want to hear pad level talk, right? Perfect fit for a zone blocking scheme. Hold up. Perfect fit for a zone blocking scheme. Perfect fit for a man blocking scheme. So what it's basically telling you is you can put this guy in any offense and his skill set really adapts, okay? Ball security, durable, good character. That's absolutely huge. Hard worker, absolutely loves football. That's probably the most important thing we just read. Weakness, he's got good speed, but not elite like Chris Johnson. Perfect. Chris Johnson or Todd Gurley. Chris Johnson is perfect. I was saying I can't think of a speed back. Chris Johnson was a speed back. Chris Johnson was one of those guys that could pull away. This is pretty cool, man, that we hit this one on the head, according to Walter's, WalterFootball.com. Um, summary, Robinson was one of the top recruits in the country, and he immediately showed special ability at Texas. In 2020, Robinson flashed his big-time skill set, recording 703 yards on only 86 carries, 8.2-yard average. That's what I was talking about, and four touchdowns. He also took 15 receptions for 196 yards and two scores that season. As a sophomore, Robinson was one of the best players in college football, regardless of position. He had 5.8 yards per carry in 2021 for 1,127 yards and 11 touchdowns. He also caught 26 passes for 295 yards. In 2022, Robinson's averaged 6.1 yards per carry for 1,580 yards and 18 touchdowns. Wow. He also notched 19 receptions for 314 yards, two scores. Team sources have been blown away with his talent, and he is loved throughout the scouting community. As we reported in the hot press, sources from a number of teams have Robinson graded higher than other recent top five running back prospects of Saquon Barkley, Leonard uh, Fournette, and Ezekiel Elliott. Here is what one area scout shared with WalterFootball.com, and it's a long, long description. I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to read it, but that right there is huge. And, you know, As we reported in the hot press, sources from a number of teams have Robinson graded higher than other recent top five running back prospects, Saquon Barkley, Leonard Fournette, and Ezekiel Elliott. The one most important to me is Saquon Barkley. That's huge, guys. So I think it's safe to say um, he's the best running back in the draft. The consensus big board probably got it right here. You know, they've got him on the in the 13 spot. And Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama is at the 31 spot. That's quite the drop, guys. They've got him projected going 19th to Bucks. And uh Jameer Gibbs from Alabama going number 30 to Kansas City. So Kansas City's always going to be on the hook for those late first round great running backs, right? <laughs> or at least trying to hit on the great, whether you agree that they've hit or not. That's that's the story for a different day. But, um, yeah, so B. John Robinson, man, to answer your question, McSwinks, and, again, I try not to do this often because I'm not a professional scout and I don't pretend to be one, uh, you know, nor do I play one on TV, right? Um, but he sounds like the real deal. So here's the big question. Do the Packers take him? If he is a top-tier talent and he's the only top-tier talent and he's on the board at number 15 and there's nobody else 
within sight that they feel like this would be a solid pick here, I would not be surprised if they took him. Now, would Twitter handle it well? No. Packer fans would lose their minds because you're already paying Aaron Jones too much money, <laughs> right? Aaron Jones is off the books in 2025, gang. Now, if we restructure, maybe on the hook for a little bit, it's not going to ruin the cap. But again, like we already debunked, the Packers' cap penalty is not going to be $122 million in 2025, okay? Not going to be. Probably not even going to be half of that. I'd be surprised if it's half of that. So, you got to stop with all this uh, nonsense, this dishonesty. Man, didn't your parents teach you any better? Honesty is the best policy. I'm trying to be funny here, and it's probably not working. So, with that being said, we're going to get out of here, guys. Really appreciate your time. Um, thank you all for hanging out. I want to thank Nathan for the kind words. Alex, thank you for the email and the and the speaking topic there. At Mr. Heaton, yeah, <laughs> on Twitter. Appreciate you and uh, reaching out, talking GMs and coaches. And then, of course, Mick Swanks um, asking about B. John Robinson. This is exactly what I'm talking about, guys. Every time we do a podcast, every single time we do a podcast, we got listeners asking me questions. And because they asked the question, I had to dig in. And now I know way more about B. John Robinson. I didn't know anything before. Now I got a good idea of his draft profile who his NFL comps are and um, where he may or may not be drafted in the, in or, you know, picked in the draft. So pretty cool stuff. So I really appreciate y'all taking the time for that. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world and go back. Go. On the fake Rogers lets it fly. Has Watson. He's got it on his feet and he's in for the touchdown. That might be the biggest catch of this young receiver's career from Christian Watson. You can see him. It's just press man. They talk about his speed, his ability to get behind the defense. It's just a matter of can he catch it. That's a great job tracking the ball. He just took a big sigh of relief. Look at his buddies greeting him on the sideline, man. That's got to feel good.